joining us for this week's uh, Asia Pacific report, we have uh, Ashraf Patel. Ashraf, assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Welcome. Wa alaikum salam alana. Hope you're all well. Now, the IMF wants Sri Lanka to finalize deals with creditors ahead of the second review in June. Yes, uh, this is an important story. Uh, listeners may recall about 18 months ago, there was a change of government in the island of Sri Lanka, an important nation state in Southeast Asia. Uh, at the time, the uh, Rajapaksa uh, dynasty uh, controlled the country in a very authoritarian and fairly corrupt manner. Uh, as a result of social unrest uh, over many months, um, the new government or kind of interim government came in. But the big question for Sri Lanka is the economic uh, situation, which is quite dire. Uh, there's deepening levels of poverty and the IMF bailout has been touted as one way to stabilize the currency as well as the national budget. But the problem with that is the chicken and egg situation with IMF bailouts while providing um, $2.9 billion uh, for the first quarter of 2024, uh, there are a range of targets or measures that the Sri Lankan government has to meet. And that means uh, the privatization of many state-owned enterprises, as well as the curbing of public service expenditure. So this would be the key challenge for a government that is facing a meltdown or very low economic growth, as well as high levels of uh, social divisions. So uh, although it has the potential, uh, it faces these economic woes. Overall, is, is, is Sri Lanka on, uh, on a path to recovery? Well, the problem is um, in, at a political governance level, uh, getting rid of the Rajapaksa dynasty was seemed positive, but they're moving now into what is called a neoliberal capitalist model, which also has its challenges. So, you know, with IMF, you're always going to be caught in a chicken and egg situation. And therefore, new models of economic development is needed. Uh, the same old uh, prescriptions uh, that most developing nations face uh, just don't assist the ordinary people or these kind of middle class and working classes. Yes, the elites do benefit, but in the in that part of the world, they only constitute about 20% of the population. So that creates more social uh, divisions. Now, Asia is to end 2023 on a brighter note as China's economy recovers. Yes, uh, the proviso there is that um, there has been some slowdown with manufacturing output, uh, but with the new APEC, uh, as well as the growth of the middle class, the tourist season, the center of economic gravity is Asia for demographic reasons. We know uh, China and India alone uh, has 1.3 billion each, uh, Indonesia 300 million, etc., etc. So these are aspirant nations with growing middle classes. So the idea being uh, trade is always going to be the big boost. Uh, trade in services, the big boost for Asia. Uh, the Asian region growth is expected at 4.9%, which is quite good comparatively to the rest of the world at 1.8%. So the center of economic trade has moved to Asia, although with the Chinese real estate market, 
there has been some concerns that that could spread to other parts of the region. But the regulators are moving in to curb the real estate speculation in the Chinese market. And with the, if you look at the COP28 outcomes, the move towards a bigger, uh, 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 more confirmed just energy uh, or energy transition, uh, one can see massive investments in the kind of green sector, especially electronic vehicles uh, and other kind of uh, green technologies. And uh, Asia is in a prime spot or prime position to move quick into those uh, regions because remember it has the largest population, the most cars on the road, and it it would be the first uh, to move towards a mass production and distribution of EVs, which is needed because of the air quality in most of Asia. So uh, it it can uh, develop further and lead the world out of uh, these recessions. Now, on the local front, uh, Dr. Server has come out claiming that he's uh, exposing Roger Jardine's political gambit. Yeah, look, locally, the politics are getting very interesting. You must remember we're getting into a election year and uh, the, the, the guns are out all, all round. Uh, the, the stakes are very high in this election for several reasons. Um, I mean, in my opinion, the uh, IEC uh, and the court judgment will give smaller parties more stake or possibility to contest the election. And that is creating all sorts of, I would call it, electoral entrepreneurship. Uh, you know, startups can just register the IEC and contest elections. But I think what uh, the Dr. Self uh, article is saying is uh, who are the backers of such new parties? And uh, there is some uh, concerns that it may be backed by big business capital, uh, given that Dr. Jardine is on many boards, uh, such as FNB, etc. So there seems to be a kind of concern that big business is funding lots of political parties and movements. I mean, if you look at Rise SA, for instance, uh, Songhezo Zibi, uh, and the Ravonia Circle, they they well known to be close to big business, uh, business leadership, etc. A lot of the funding coming from the large corporates. Now that raises the question: uh, Will South African electoral politics be captured by large corporates? And this is normal uh, throughout the world in many developing countries, whether you're in Asia or Latin America. The trend is big business wants to get their policies. Uh, passed in parliament and, and, and implemented in government. So they would act in an entrepreneurial way and back several candidates uh, if they're not happy with the incumbent. So this is exactly what's happening in South Africa. And I think the debate is going to get more intensive and more challenging as we enter 2024. Is it realistic to expect in a democracy like South Africa's that uh, any party of significance that has a a significant impact uh, on the political landscape that they wouldn't be backed by uh, by big business Uh, whether it's the EFF whether it's the DA whether the ANC or whether any of the upcoming parties that hope to play a big part I've I've seen criticism of Dr. Survey's expose by those who say well it's it's rich and ironic coming from this individual who himself has been the beneficiary of his political connections at best uh, or the beneficiary of corruption as alleged uh, at, at worst Yes, definitely. These are uh, what is called the contradictions of capitalism. 
that uh, that um, in, in in kind of uh, political science we call it bourgeois democracy, meaning that the elites are generally self-serving, and they would uh, get into the public domain uh, because they want certain political parties to win power for certain party uh, economic policy frameworks. I think everyone is behind uh, a big business or, or different segments or fragments of big business would back different kind of candidates. So it's very much what happens in countries like Mexico or India or uh, Malaysia, etc. The stakes are very high because uh, depending on what trajectory is taking place. And yes, lots of these contradictions will come through as we move forward. But I think it's also important to state that the IEC does publish uh, what is called uh, political party funding. And that gives some level of transparency, at least, uh, on, on who is backing which candidate. Uh, and I think more importantly, voter education would be an important element uh, going into 2024. All right, Ashraf, as always, shukran for your time. We really appreciate it. Shukran, Mala. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Wa alaikum as